0: You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Good morning to all of you. Um, I know that some of you are our guests. I had the privilege of meeting some of you, but welcome on behalf of everyone sitting around you. You are a welcome addition to our community here. My name is Jay, I'm the lead pastor, and we've been journeying together through the gospel of John, and we're at John chapter 6, we're going to do the the later two-thirds of that chapter today. And it's okay if you're just joining us for the first time in this series. Um, if you're interested, you can go back and listen to our previous sermons on our website, but um, we'll catch you up to speed, especially on what happened the last couple weeks. So that being said, um, today really is about the reality of, of bread, and I, I love bread. Anyone here like fresh bread, like this kind of bread? And I'm not taunting you, you'll get to have some bread later. Um, Our communion team, um, Jeannie and Stephanie Guttridge in particular worked very hard to actually have fresh bread for when we take communion here later this morning. So you're going to have some. But with this in mind, um, there's nothing like the smell and taste of, of fresh bread. My wife, Jamie, and I, for many years, have been going to an island called Hartstein Island. It's in Puget Sound. It's a place we love to get away to every so often. And uh, Jamie's family, her dad and mom, took a drive one day, like 40 years ago, out to Hartstein Island, and um, it's like three hours from here. It's a long drive, but they went out on this drive, and they found this, um, this community that was being built, bought one of the first lots, and Jamie's dad built a cabin there. And Jamie spent many summers growing up on that island. I mean, it was just fantastic. And many of you know our story, Jamie and I began to date as high school sweethearts. So in high school, I was going to this place. So it has deep roots and deep meaning for us. And there's a bakery on the way that you would never know was there unless you had been to the island before. It's kind of tucked away off the road, but you drive into this bakery and really as soon as you get out of the car, you smell the bread and it's fresh and it just, it makes you so hungry. And, uh, and you just want to eat all of it, you know? And, and fresh bread is, is like that. I mean, it's good, right? <laughs> you want to eat it, and that's, and that's a good thing. And the last service, I took like half of this and put it in my mouth and then couldn't swallow, so they rescued me with some water. But that being said, there's, there's nothing like bread. And Jesus very deliberately is going to tap into that reality and that imagery as he talks about his authority and identity in this part of John chapter 6. And actually he's, he's already been establishing that. But as we dive into this passage, it's really important and I think necessary for us to have at least some of the frame of reference that his audience would have had, the Jewish people who were listening to him crowding around him as he spoke these words that we're about to read together. For starters, bread and water were highly significant and highly symbolic in the culture and life of the Jewish people. For starters, bread was one of the basics. In fact, what does the Lord's Prayer say? Give us this day our daily okra, right? No. (laughs) Sorry, okra fans. It's bread, right? It was a fundamental. That it was something you had to have, but also symbolic of life. The law, the Torah, was referred to as the bread of God. And there was this idea, this reality, that as you internalized it, as you ingested it, as you read it and let it sink in, that it would begin to to bring meaning and life in in and of itself. And then, of course, you'll see some of this imagery, and we've already seen it, In this passage we're going to look at today, one of the defining moments in Israel's history was when they were freed from captivity from Egypt, right? In the Exodus, and water points to that, the water miracle of Moses parting the Red Sea. But also, though, their wanderings in the desert for 40 years where God miraculously provided food, presumably for millions of people every day. For six days out of the week, for forty years, there was this this bread, this wafer that would fall from heaven it 'd be on the on the ground in the morning with the dew they didn 't know what to call it, so they called it manna, which literally means what is it and, and it was what sustained them and so you have to understand that this imagery is running through the jewish people 's minds as they 're hearing Jesus talk, and if that wasn 't enough, part of their worship of God was um, in the temple and Preceding that, in the tabernacle, there was a table set up there with bread on it, twelve loaves to represent the twelve tribes of the nation, and it was baked baked fresh daily. So the smell of bread was was constant in the in the temple and in the tabernacle. So all this symbolism is now going to be tapped into, and uh, maybe some of you, like Jamie and me, went to. Um, the theater a couple nights ago and saw the release of the two new Chosen series it's the climax of the of the season 3 of the Chosen and it actually is going to air for free tonight on the Chosen app so you don't have to pay to see it but all that being said coincidentally Those two episodes were about what we looked at last week. The miraculous feeding of thousands and thousands of people. And the way they portrayed that was so moving and so well done. And then if you'll remember, he feeds these thousands of people. Jesus goes up on the mountain to pray, sends the disciples across the sea. They head into a storm. He comes out on the water to them, freaks them out, then calms them down, calms the storm, and the boat lands. And the crowd, figuring out that Jesus had left the area where they fed him, are now finding him in Capernaum. And that's where we begin to pick up the story here today. So think about this imagery and think about the significance of bread as Jesus begins to explain once again who he is, his authority, his identity. And I will read this to you. It's a long passage, so bear with me here. Uh, There we go. So here we go. When they found him, Jesus, on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? "'Jesus answered, "'Very truly I tell you, "'you are looking for me not because you saw "'the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves "'and had your fill. "'Do not work for food that spoils, "'but for food that endures to eternal life, "'which the Son of Man will give you. "'For on Him God the Father has placed His seal of approval.' "'And then they asked Him, "'What must we do to do the works that God requires?' Jesus answered the work of God is this to believe in the one he has sent so they asked him what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you what will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And this is a reference back to the Old Testament Exodus in particular. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And now they're beginning to catch up to what Jesus is saying here. Sir, they said, Always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. and I will raise them up on the last day. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. And once again, that's another imagery back to the people. Remember when they wandered in the desert and they complained and grumbled? There's another connect there. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and this is reaching back to Isaiah in the Old Testament, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who's heard the Father has learned from him and comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. "'Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. "'But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, "'which anyone may eat and not die. "'I am the living bread that came down from heaven. "'Whoever eats this bread will live forever. "'This bread is my flesh, "'which I will give for the life of the world.' "'And then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, "'How can this man give us his flesh to eat?' Jesus said to them, "'Very truly I tell you, "'unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man "'and drink his blood, "'you will have no life in you. "'Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood "'has eternal life, "'and I will raise them up at the last day. "'For my flesh is real food, "'and my blood is real drink. "'Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood "'remains in me and I in them. "'Just as the living Father sent me, "'and I live because of the Father.'" So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate the manna and died. But whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. So you don't have anything to do till Friday, Saturday of next week? Because that's about how long it would take us to completely unpack this amazing chapter. There is so much here, and unfortunately there's so much that we just, for lack of time, don't have time to talk about. But we are going to extract some powerful, life-changing realities and truths for you and me. And right out of the gate here, this crowd has gathered to, to meet with Jesus, to find Him again, because He fed them. Thousands and thousands and thousands of them. But there's a problem right out of the gate, and here it is. They asked Jesus... When did you get here? And Jesus will do this over and over again. He's not evading the question. He's going to the real heart of the people. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. He goes right to their motives and says, You're looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. And another translation of that could be this. You are not looking for the Messiah. You are looking for McDonald's. (laughs) And you're missing it. And that's exactly what's going on because they wanted Jesus on their terms. Do you and I ever come to Jesus and demand our terms? Many of you know my story, but I chose to become a Jesus follower, receive Jesus into my life when I was a um, freshman in high school. Went away to a Young Life camp, had no intention of getting into this Jesus stuff, but Jesus got into me. And I realized it was a defining moment. I went and sat underneath this tree after hearing a a talk that night and was just thinking about what I'd heard. And I just, I knew it was a defining moment. I just, I absolutely knew he was who I had been looking for. And so I received him into my life. But I said, Jesus, here's the deal I will take you into my life on two conditions. Number one, you don't ever make me a pastor, (laughs) number two, you don't ever make me a missionary. For the record, I love being one of your pastors. I love being a pastor. There's nothing I'd rather do with my life. Kind of missed on that one. Number two, when you and I choose to receive Jesus into our lives, we have a story that has to be told. And therefore, you are a missionary. I've been both and I am both. God doesn't shake hands, evidently. (laughs) Because those weren't his terms. Those were mine. This crowd is trying to come to Jesus on their terms and want him to jump through their hoops. And we've looked at this reality over and over again, and I say it this way very deliberately. You do not add Jesus to your life, meaning, in part, you don't set the terms. You don't add Jesus to your life. You make him your life, which means you follow him on his terms. So let's cut to the chase. What are his terms? It's right here. The crowd asks, the same thing. What must we do to do the works that God requires? Give us the bottom line. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So, what are God's terms? He calls us to believe in him. What else? Hold on a minute. Did I miss something here? Hmm, Whoever believes in Is something else going to drop out of here? And the answer is no. Well, that's easy. No, not necessarily. That's simple. Yes, in many ways it is. But don't ever confuse simple with easy. To trust Jesus, to believe in him, means you entrust yourself to him. It is a one-time thing, and it is an everyday, all-the-time thing. Because when we talk about belief, we oftentimes dilute it in our language and in our culture. We believe in all sorts of things, but not really. But in the Bible, and especially in the New Testament, when we come to verses like this that says, believe in me, that in is a preposition, which you probably know, you grammatical geeks. But that can also be translated into meaning. Belief always involves action. Belief is never passive, especially when Jesus talks about belief. Belief always involves action. And your behavior, my behavior, reveals what we truly believe. I was reading just in another part of my Bible here earlier this week in my own, in my own reading. And I was reading Romans 5 in the New Testament there, and it talks about the reality that, that Jesus makes peace between us and, and God the Father. And I was thinking about that a little bit and thought, you know, I don't believe that. At least I didn't believe that before I knew Jesus. Because in my mind, I was a pretty good kid. Before I made that defining moment, life-changing decision to receive Jesus into my life under that huge dug fir tree that, that, that night in that camp, I was a pretty good kid. I mostly obeyed my parents. I got good grades. Pretty much stayed out of trouble. Didn't tell them everything, but for the most part, they thought I stayed out of trouble. I was a pretty good kid by most standards. So why does there need to be peace between me and God? Was God ever my enemy? No, I was his. Because you see, when we set the terms, when we decide how we're going to live our life, when we decide what's true for us, this is my truth, regardless of whether it's God's truth or not, We're declaring ourselves to be an enemy of of God. And it is a historic problem. It goes all the way back to the beginning of human history. In the book of beginnings in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3, when God commands Adam and Eve not not to eat from the tree of knowledge and good and evil or they would die. They believe, another way to say it, their truth was that that wasn't true. And they were going to discover truth on their own, and so they did. And death, and disease, and destruction, and decay, and disaster, all that now enters the world, because they elevated their truth over his. And my friends, whenever you and I do that, the Bible calls that sin. And just so we're on the same page... Before you and I choose to follow Jesus we have an inward bent we are bent inward our proclivity is to be selfish self-focused self-absorbed people And we like to name the terms and we like to make life all about us and the reality is That that's pervasive you don't act your way out of that you don't behave your way out of it It affects your motives your values the very depth of your heart. You need what the Bible calls a new heart. You need a complete transformation from the inside out because you have a spiritual cancer that has to be treated, and it has to be treated by being killed. Cancer is not something you accommodate. You don't put a Band-Aid on it. You don't tolerate it. You don't explain it away. You don't ignore it. You deal with it, and you deal with it by killing it and my family knows something about that with the cancer that we've, we've dealt with and the family that we've lost from it. You kill cancer. And what Jesus is saying here is something needs to come alive in you and me. And it's a life that can only be found in him. And so he declares himself to be the bread of life. And there's so much power behind what he's saying here. In the frame of reference that we've looked at a little bit with the Jewish people, there were all sorts of of things that this tied into. You know, there was this expectation that just as God had fed the people in the desert, when Messiah came, he would open the storehouse of heaven and manna would just rain down. There would be an abundance. There would be plenty. There would be generosity. There would be extravagant provision from God. And what did Jesus do when he fed the thousands of people? Baskets and baskets and baskets left over. It was a forerunner of what's in our future, but it was a declaration that he was the bread of life. And look at these other amazing statements that Jesus makes about himself. And we'll get to all these as we progress through the gospel. I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life i am the true vine these are all building off of the divine name that we've looked at i am this gives color to to what god is like and and who he is he is the bread that gives life so here is the question then are you living am i Well, duh, we're all here, right? And you know, yes, I'm physically alive, okay, but that's not what this is talking about. There are two words for life in the language that the New Testament was written in, in in Greek. One is bios, which is where we get our word biology from, and it means existence. But the word being used here is the second one, and it is zoe. And zoe is about quality of life, life as it was meant to be lived and you know the difference between the two. I guarantee it. I was talking to a friend of mine who owns one of the coffee shops here in town, this last week. And his family had been sick. They had gotten COVID. And I know this never happens in your family, but the kids brought home this sickness, and then it weaved its way through everyone. They have a big family. And everybody was sick and sick for days. And he has a business, and the business has got to operate. And he has great employees. And, and, you know, they they pulled things off. But, man, when I saw him his first day back, he was exhausted. He looked like he had been drugged through the rat hole and back. I mean, he just... He had no energy. He was clearly sleep deprived and he was just barely making it. And I said, how are you doing? And he said, I'm existing. I'm, I'm, I'm getting through. You ever felt like that? Maybe you feel like that this morning. Of course you felt like that. I have felt like that at times. But that's not the life Jesus is talking about here. This is the kind of life Jesus is talking about, and I'm sure you can put your finger on several of these moments for you too, but this last Christmas in particular, it was just, it's always so rich to get together with our family. Our kids are now adults, and two of the three are married, and so... You know, we're cherishing the times that we can all actually be in the same zip code and be together, not to mention our extended family who joins us for, for Christmas Eve, or rather for Christmas. And so we have this big celebration, and Jamie always decorates the house so beautifully. We have all these traditions. We, Christmas by design is a huge deal to us. We, we build up for it. We love it. We enjoy it. And so the house is decorated and we eat all this great food, too much food. And you know, our stomachs are full and we're enjoying one another and we're opening presents and then we're doing this stupid white elephant gift exchange that we do. And I always end up laughing so hard I cry. It's just, we just so truly enjoy one another as a family. And I remember just having this defining moment here this last Christmas going, man, things are good. This is living. That's the kind of living that Jesus is talking about here. Jesus isn't promising existence. He's prom- promising us life, eternal life, yes, but life now. And not just momentary excitement and happiness, but a deep, lasting joy and satisfaction. Something that you can find even when there is a storm raging in your life, like we looked at last week. Because sometimes you don't realize that Jesus is all you need until you recognize he's all you have and he's enough and he gives life. And the bottom line here is he's coming to give us what we're all looking for. You and I are always looking for life because we're hardwired that way. And by the way, let's talk about how we, how we get the kind of life that Jesus is asking for, or rather providing for, that we're asking for. So who comes to who first? Do you come to Jesus first or does Jesus come to you first? Do you know one of the distinctives of Christianity of the Bible of what we believe is Jesus followers and it makes us distinct from every other worldview and religion out there is religion primarily teaches that religion is about God seeking pe- excuse me people seeking God but Christianity the Bible teaches us about a God who seeks and pursues us it's not about religion it's about relationship and so That's the life that that Jesus wants to give us. And he tells us straight up in this passage several times. I just pulled out two. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And that word for draws can be dragged, attract. But I will raise them up at the last day. And then we are cheating a little bit. We're going into the next passage for next week. But Jesus goes on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enable them you do not pursue god god is pursuing you you know we hear often boy people just aren't spiritual anymore especially as americans i mean in our country just people have you know drop kicked god they don't want anything to do with god that is categorically factually wrong This is hot off the presses. This came out this last October, a poll by the Barna Group looking into American spirituality. 80% of Americans, 80% of people in our country believe in a spiritual dimension. 11% are, I'm not so sure about that, but the vast majority of us are spiritual. 77% of us believe in a high power. May not be the one true God that we worship out of the Bible, but 70% of 77% of people believe in a higher power. 74% want to grow spiritually, which is astounding. And catch this, 44% of people are more open to God than they were before the pandemic. What is that about? People are hungry. Just like you and me. People are hungry for meaning. They're hungry for hope. They're hungry for significance. And we're all looking for it, whether we know it or not. Because as we looked at a couple weeks ago, God has set eternity in our human hearts. We have a vacuum. We have a space that can only be filled and fulfilled by him. But we look in so many other places and in so many other ways to get it. We can't eat enough good food, although we try. We can't take enough vacations. We can't accomplish enough. We can't acquire enough. We can't get enough. We can't have enough money in the bank. We can't have enough sex. We can't have enough significance. We can't accomplish enough. And you fill in the blank and on it goes. What is that? That is hunger. We are looking for something. That is thirst. We are thirsty for something and the amazing thing is is that if we have received true life the true life that's offered through Jesus Christ then all those things we just talked about you can enjoy them in ways you would have never dreamed before and you can enjoy them for what they are and still not expect more from them than they will ever give you because life is found in Jesus okay let's cut to the chase then let's really cut to the chase How do you get this life? And he tells them. And honestly, at first glance, this is where it gets a little weird. Okay? Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Okay. Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Hmm. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Did you just read what I read? So Jesus is advocating cannibalism? Really? That's kind of offensive. And that's really offensive to a Jewish audience. That was abhorrent to them. They they had a law that God had set in motion very deliberately so they would live distinctively from all the other people around them. They weren't to drink blood. I mean, it's just, it's gross. You think it's gross to you? Really gross to them. So Jesus is advocating cannibalism, right? But let's hold on a minute. Let's take this for a test drive. Have you ever devoured a book? Have you ever drank in an amazing experience? Ever chewed on an idea? not swallowed a story someone told you, had to eat your own words, or you love them so much you could just eat up your grandkids? (laughs) Cannibals, (laughs) right? No, it's, it's a figure of speech, right? It's not literal, it's metaphorical. But this is where this parts ways with what we just read in our English language. This is not literal. It is metaphorical, but it's also very concrete. Jesus is very clearly telling us that he sustains and strengthens us as we take him in. And again, this is a one-time thing, and this is an ongoing thing. Do you remember how this gospel started? The gospel of John, John chapter 1, verse 36. John the Baptist sees Jesus and says, look, the Lamb of God. And that had profound significance in reality for him to say that. Hugely significant. The Exodus was all about God intervening to save his people. But there was a lamb that they sacrificed that protected them from the destroyer, the angel of death, presumably, that then pronounced judgment on on all the firstborn of, of the Egyptians and the firstborn animals for that matter, but there was this idea that someday the ultimate lamb, the ultimate sacrifice would come and sacrifice himself for the people. It would be the chosen one, the Messiah. And if that wasn't enough, in their history very deliberately, God told them to celebrate a special day called the Day of Atonement. It happened once a year, a lot of ceremony and ritual, and we won't go into all that. We don't have time, but the apex of that was the high priest would representatively put his hands on a goat to transfer the sin, the brokenness, the selfishness of the people onto the goat, and then he would release the goat. It would go outside the camp, and it was called the scapegoat, which is where we get that word in our language. It was the scapegoat, symbolically representing the removal of the sin from the people. But then another goat would be slaughtered. It would be killed and sacrificed to symbolize payment of the sins of all the people. Jesus, as the Lamb of God, removes our sin from us and pays for our sin all at the same time. And through that, he gives us life. Through his death, burial, and resurrection, when we respond to that, when we receive him into our life, when we truly believe in him, not just mentally believe in him, but when we make him our life by receiving him into our life, then we get life. It's as simple as that. And communion underscores all these realities that we're talking about. Yesterday, I um, had a chance to go over to um, David and Lauren Piper's and had lunch with them, got to meet some of their friends, and we got to talk together. And, you know, there's something that's so disarming and good and right that happens when you eat food with someone. It is like the universal um, equalizer. You know, you start eating with someone, and there's relationship that's built, and you exchange stories, and there's community that begins to happen. And, and it's, it's a real thing. And it's, it's, it's true in every culture. It is kind of the universal language. Food is a fuel for relationship with other people. And so I'm sitting around, you know, meeting these friends and getting to spend more time with the Pipers, and, and it's just great. And, and then I begin to think about, oh, wait a minute. If you read ahead in the Gospel of John to John chapter 13, last night of Jesus' life, he's having a last meal, what we call the Last Supper. He's instituting communion, which we're about to celebrate here in just a minute, with them. And Judas is the one who's going to betray him. And what we have to understand and appreciate is that in Near Eastern culture, If you ate a meal with someone, you were saying, I'm your friend, you can trust me, I am safe, I am for you, we're in community, we're in relationship. It was absolutely incomprehensible to think that you would betray someone who you had broken bread with, so to speak, who you had eaten with. And yet, what does Jesus do? Excuse me, what does Judas do? talk about what Jesus did in just a minute. What does Judas do? He betrays Jesus. And if you read in John chapter 13, Jesus will take one last piece of bread and dip it in some juice, which is a way of eating. But he hands this bread to Judas. And many scholars believe, and I think they're right, that he was offering Judas one last way out. That bread, Jesus, the bread of life, You don't have to do this, but of course he did. But as I'm thinking about all this, as I'm having lunch yesterday with these new friends, I'm thinking, how could I betray them? And how could Judas betray Jesus? But then I begin to realize, you know what? There are times I still betray Jesus, and I love him, and he is my life. Because there's a little Judas in all of us. And one of the reasons why God's word tells us to examine ourselves before we come and celebrate communion is that we, we do business with our selfishness, our sinfulness, our, our brokenness. We remember that we don't have to live like that anymore. We don't have to settle for that anymore. We have found the source of life. And literally as we take this bread in and as we drink this juice, as we'll do in just a few minutes, we are saying by our actions, Jesus, you live inside of me. I am, I am taking you in. I'm going to read and digest your word and, and chew on your word as a source of strength and, and sustenance in and, and life. And so Jesus invites us to have a meal with him. And so I'm going to ask our communion servers to come forward to go ahead and prepare the elements as I promised you earlier. We got fresh bread for you today because Jesus is the bread of life. And that life is available for you and for me. So as we prepare to, to respond to this, I'm just going to invite you to bow your heads, close your eyes, so you can concentrate, not be distracted. The way we deal head on with the selfishness, the sinfulness that we all do battle with is to call it what it is. The Bible calls that confession. So as you think over today, or even this week, especially as you think about your relationships, is there something that you need to confess to God? And as you do that, what we remember together as we prepare to take communion is that his love, his forgiveness, his mercy, his grace is not a license to continue to sin. It is the escape from it. We do not have to live like that because we have the source of life, true life within us through him. And so, Lord, I pray for anyone here who isn't sure if they've truly made you their life by receiving you into their lives, I pray that they would wait no longer, that you would draw them just like you've promised to do, just like you did me under that tree so many years ago, that you would draw them into your family now. They would choose to say between you and them, I believe that you are the bread of life. And Lord, as we come forward to receive these elements, help us to remember not only what they symbolize, but what they truly mean, that you are the source of life. We need that life. We want that life through you. And so we ask this in your son's name, in your name. Amen. So if you will come and receive the elements and then take them back to your chairs and hold on to them, we will celebrate communion together. Come forward and receive the bread of life. In John chapter 11, Jesus and his disciples are away, they're out of town, or at least the town where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were. And they get word that Lazarus is dying and Jesus deliberately delays coming back because what he knows and what the disciples and the two sisters don't is that he's gonna raise Lazarus back to life. And so he comes and the sisters, Mary and Martha, in their anguish, in their disappointment basically say where were you when we needed you and then Jesus says this to Martha which I think is a fitting end to our our time of worship here this morning Jesus said to her I am the resurrection and the life the one who believes in me will live even though they die and whoever lives by believing in me will never die do you believe this And I hope that you can answer like she did. Yes, I do. Because life is found in nothing else and no one else but the one true God, Jesus Christ. Let me pray his blessing over you. Lord, thank you for such a powerful time of worship to seek you together, to experience you together, to feel and hear and see you move in our lives. We believe in the bread of life. And so as we go from here, would we look for opportunities to tell that story and to live that story? Help us to love people the way you have first loved us. Help us to believe. And we ask this in your powerful name. And God's people said, amen. So believe and go live for him. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.